Dead Point Scotland is a national charity which supports people who have dual sensory loss. Their aims are to ensure deaf blind people live rewarding lives and remain active members in their own communities, whilst encouraging more contact between deaf blind and sighted hearing people. Along with this, they aim to raise public awareness regarding the potential of deaf blind individuals and to remove common misunderstandings about the limitations of the condition. I'm speaking today by phone with Chief Executive Isabella Goldie to find out more about DeafBlind Scotland and how they're going about reaching their goals. My name is Michael McLaren and this is Down the Lane with. So hi Isabella and thank you for agreeing to speak with me on the phone today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Michael. Very pleased to be here. So to begin with, could you give the listeners a brief description of what your organisation does? So we're the National Authority on Dual Sensory Loss in Scotland. We're an organisation that was originally part of a UK organisation. So we were a branch really up until about 25 years ago. And now we're an independent organisation. We're really the only organisation that solely supports people with um, dual sensory loss. For a lot of people, you might consider that dual sensory loss or deaf blindness is quite a rare low incidence condition, but actually dual sensory loss at the level where one sense can compensate for another sense is actually really quite prevalent and getting more so as people start to age. So we support people right across Scotland. So I understand that there is no accepted official definition for deaf blindness but could you give me what your description of it would be? So you're right, there is no official definition in Scotland of deaf blindness, which is, is really quite a problem. There is in England and the other parts of the UK a legal definition of deaf blindness, but the accepted definition of deaf blindness across the world, and I guess the definition that's accepted by the World Health Organisation, is what they call the Nordic definition coming from Norway and the other Nordic countries. And that's that someone is considered deafblind if one sense can no longer compensate for the other. So if you have one sensory loss and you've used the other sense, so for instance, if you have hearing loss and you've used your sight to be able to visually cite British Sign Language, for instance, as a visual language, if you're no longer able to do that, you would be considered deafblind, even if you still have some sight, but if that becomes more difficult and no longer able to compensate. And how common is it in Scotland and in the UK in general? So it's actually more common than people think, because I think people see the term deaf blindness and consider it's people that are completely deaf and completely blind. But actually, on that definition of deaf blindness, um, the Nordic definition, that it's about that loss of compensation. And there's around about 31,000 people in Scotland would be at that level to be considered deaf blind using that Nordic definition of deaf blindness. And what would be some of the everyday issues faced by people who are deaf blind? Well the biggest issue is really communication and being able to communicate and engage with others socially, emotionally, but also accessing information as well. So accessing information about what's going on in the world or even simple things like appointment letters, being able to read appointment letters that come through your door. The other big issue is mobility, being able to navigate on your own. So being able to safely go shopping or even go to the post box at the end of your street can become incredibly challenging if you haven't got any vision or your vision's very poor. So for instance, if you have macular degeneration, which is very common as you get older, then you have very, very little sight that's not 
disturbed by black patches, by patches where there's no vision, and that can make it really difficult to be able to, to see what's going on in the world or cross the road safely. Equally, if you've got other conditions where you have what's termed as tunnel vision, then you have a tiny bit of central vision. Again, you can't see if somebody's coming up beside you, trying to, to move around you. If you're crossing the road, you can't see, you have no peripheral visions, you can't see a car coming around the corner. So it really depends on the condition. But I think those three areas of communication, lack of access to communication, lack of access to information and the ability to mobilise and, and navigate the world safely are the, the kind of three main areas. How do you go about raising awareness among the general public regarding the issues faced by deafblind people and how can they help to create a more inclusive environment? One of the biggest things that, that deafblind people say to us is that people don't understand the condition. They veer away immediately when they see someone coming towards them who's got a white sticker or a guide dog. So I think the first thing we have to do really is to bridge that social distance that people feel to make it easier for people to approach somebody who's deafblind. And one of the ways that we do that at Deafblind Scotland is we've got a wide training programme that's very much led by people who are deafblind themselves. So starting to break down those stereotypes by actually going into training sessions and actually as a trainer, sharing their own personal experience with people. And I think when they do that, people understand, the participants in the training start to understand that deafblind people have got the same hopes, dreams, same aspirations in life as, as the rest of us. It just so happens that they've, they've lost one or both senses at, across the course of life. So I think that's the biggest thing we can do is I think increasing the visibility of people who are deafblind through social media is really important. Telling people's personal stories because it's those stereotypes. And I think, as I said, that social distance that stop people from making that first move towards connecting with somebody who's deafblind. Your website has a statement on it which says that the guide communicator service is essential if deafblind people are to be truly independent. Can you explain to me what guide communicator means? Guide communicators are registered social care workers, so it's a social care service, but they're actually very highly specialist members of staff that we train up to be able to communicate in a whole range of methods with people who are deafblind. So someone, for instance, who's been deaf since birth may have British Sign Language skills. They may have a little bit of vision left and able to use their British Sign Language skills if actually the person signing to them is able to do what we call visual frame signing, is able to sign directly in front of them. For others who have significant sight loss, then we need to think about tactile BSL, which is a hands-on version of BSL. So guide communicators have to be skilled in providing all of these different kinds of communication methods to people to support people to, to communicate. But they're also trained to guide as well to help people navigate their neighbourhoods, to get out to the shops, to be able to, to live as full a life as possible, but to do so safely. So not everyone has a guide dog. You know, many people don't have a guide dog. They're quite, takes quite a long time and they're, they're quite hard to get because there aren't that many of them. So it's a way for someone to be able to navigate safely with someone guiding them side by side, just walking side by side with them and giving them a, a bit of support when needed. But mostly people come without those communication skills or guiding skills in the first instance and, and then we, we provide training to help them to get there. So it's hard to recruit for those posts. And to be honest with you, if anyone's listening to the podcast and are interested, we'd be really happy to talk to you about that. So talking about communication methods, one of the techniques I found mentioned on your website was a sign language called Deafblind Manual. Could you explain what this method is and how it works? 
it's probably a lesser known communication method. People tend to think of British Sign Language. But obviously, if you've got no vision at all or you didn't grow up using British Sign Language, then it's really hard to learn tactile British Sign Language, so hands-on British Sign Language. So the DeafBlind Manual provides another communication methods that people can use who don't already have BSL skills should they become deafblind. And it's a form of finger spelling, but it's much more than that because it's actually reframing communication in such a way that, yeah, it's almost akin to shorthand that you're able to reframe in a, a shortened version because obviously if you were to fingerspell every word, you would be spending a very long time describing even the smallest of situations so or pass on the smallest amount of information. So you need to be able to reframe and, and abbreviate and paraphrase. So it's quite a skilled technique, but anyone can actually learn to do basic fingerspelling or basic deafblind manual. And if people are even able to do that, then it means they can at least connect at a very basic level with people to say hello and how are you and I think that makes a big difference to people who are deafblind. What would you like to see concerning changes in the built environment that you think would be beneficial? I think we have come a long way around accessibility in the built environment but it's got to be more than that. It's not just reaching a building safely and getting through the front door. We really need to look at equality of use of the building for people. I guess equity of experience once you're in the building. So for instance having big open spaces can be really difficult for people that are deafblind because there's no touch point. So having handrails that people can guide themselves around areas is really helpful. And just having way markers along the way. So pieces of furniture and buildings, having areas where there's a tactile part of the environment so that people can feel that they're at a desk and then they walk around the desk. But I think wide, wide, often reception areas and, and hospitals and, and lots of other places have these very wide boys that are really not needed when you think about it because you don't get queues of people waiting in those kind of areas. So as I said, handrails would be a good starting point. Different kind of textures on the floor for people using their, their cane can be the most helpful thing to be able to feel your way around. So you can use little bumps that you can see in front of traffic lights. If you have them in buildings, they actually direct you across roads. So having that kind of textured flooring in a hospital environment, for instance, as you go through the reception, could really point you to the desk. People will be able to feel that with their cane. So I think it's about tactility, being able to have either an ability to feel with your hands or to feel with your long cane, and that would help people to be able to navigate. Deafblind Scotland launched a carer's advice project in Fife last year. Can you tell me if this is still going and what it provides? Yes, the Carers Project is still going in Fife. Fife has become quite a hub of activity for Deafblind Scotland. So the Carers Project has been one of our first kind of main areas of work in Fife. And the work that we do there is to support carers who either have a visual or a visual loss, a sight loss or a hearing impairment themselves to get support, but also if they're caring for somebody with a sensory loss. Our main forms of support for carers have been around signposting to services that can help them and give them additional input and support, but also to look at their financial position, to provide welfare rights support for them, really practical support to be able to fill in disability benefit applications or things like the blue badge and PIP, etc., 
but also to support people who are caring for someone or, as I said, have essentially lost themselves and are a carer, to be able to have a carer's assessment to make sure all their needs have been met. So it's really about information, advice and making sure carers are getting all the support that they need. And we'll continue to grow that our work in Fife and over the coming year we've got a whole load of activities that we're planning to bring into Fife. So to watch this space, we really want to make Fife the next big hub of activity for Deafblind Scotland. So thank you again, Isabella, for agreeing to speak with me today and the best of luck for DeafBlind Scotland in the future. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. We really appreciate it. If you would like to know more about DeafBlind Scotland, the website link is available on the Linton Lane website. Down the Lane With was presented by Michael McLaren. It was created by Marion McPherson and Michael McLaren and was a Jacket Pocket Media production for the Linton Lane Centre.